morning. How's everybody doing? It's good to um, see you here physically this morning. And for those of you who don't know me, I am Mitch Hines. I'm the worship and children's pastor here at Grace. And I'm super excited to share with you, uh, just studying through Psalm 98, uh, just so you know that John tasked us as pastors to pick our favorite psalm. And so um, I have lots of them, actually. I'm the music guy, so I have to. But um, I really do enjoy reading the psalms, writing songs out of the psalms. And actually, one of the characters, I shouldn't say character, one of the people in Scripture uh, that I resonate most with is David. I don't want to say character because he was a real person, existed, not just a character. But um, I resonate with him because I'm a songwriter myself, and I love music. And that's what David, David was a psalmist. He wrote many, many psalms, a lot of songs, did worship and praise. And so I resonate with him the most. And as I mentioned, I write a lot of songs. I write songs for you know church. I write songs for my wife, many songs for our wedding. Actually, were songs uh, that I had written, Go Me. Um, I write songs uh, for my kids. Uh, you know, when Kalen was going to be born, I just had this uh, idea just to write a song that said, you know, I, I hope that I will show you the depth of my love. And that's, yeah, there you go. Uh, who said that first? That was, that's what I was hoping for. Oh, that's cute, right? But I also uh, write songs, like I said the, at the front, to write songs for the church. And that's my favorite type of song to write, to compose, to do, because I love when we sing together as a church. I love it being up front here. You know, we... A lot of us have these in-ears here. That's just a, so we can make sure we sound good. But I'd like to take it out at, at moments in the song and just listen as we join together and, and, and lift our voices to God. And I love that. I love that this morning, uh, being able just to hear us all singing together and joining in song and uh, in, inspiring us to live a life worthy of the calling we've received. That's Ephesians 4.1. Um, so I'm excited to speak about this because um, I also believe that Grace Church is a singing church. I don't know if you notice, when you're here, and especially when we're really full, but we love to sing, by and large. I mean, I, I, like I said, from up front, I can just hear us singing and lifting up our voices. And um, I, I don't want to make my main point, we should sing. That would be a little redundant, because I believe, by and large, our church loves to sing. And just to give you some, some sense of that, we have 15, at least 15 singers on the worship team. We have five guitarists, four drummers, uh, three piano players, three bassists, a violinist, and then we have an incredible tech team who, by the way, if you hadn't heard us mention, they're actually up in that room over there running most of the things from up there. So that's pretty incredible. And I know there's more. And so we have just such a, an amazing team of people, an amazing group of people, an amazing church that loves to sing. So my main point is not going to be we should sing. But I do want to spend a few moments at the beginning before I dive into the psalm uh, just to address the importance of singing. Because even if you like to sing, you may not understand or know or remember the importance of singing as a church body. And by, you know, there's bound to be some people who don't like to sing. And that's okay. I'm not going to make you raise your hands. Um, just come talk to me after the service. But um, I, 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 there's bound to be some people who don't like it. And those who are watching online, there's bound to be somebody who's like, eh, it's not for me. But there is an, an important reality that singing does as a church body, as a church, as a body of believers. And so um, the first point I want to make is that the Bible contains over 400 references to singing. So that alone is reason, well, there's probably something to this. Uh, but second, there are two verses in specific that I want to mention. One is Ephesians 5, 18 to 20. It'll be up on the screen. It says this, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. 
Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the second one is very similar, Colossians 3.16, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. As a, a family, my wife and I went to Michigan a couple years ago for a family camp. It's a Christian camp. You go to um, chapels, hear messages and encouragement about how your family can live for Christ. And one of their encouragements was to create a family mission. Obviously, live for Jesus was the, the overarching you know, banner. But have something specific that you can go back to and teach your kids, hey, this is what we're going to be about as a family. And recently, we just printed off uh, posters of them. We hung them in our house, and I have another one that we uh, have at the dinner table to rotate the letters between, but it's going to be up on the screen, and I just want to share with you what these are. We use our last name, by the way, as an acrostic. I didn't say that. We use our last name as what our family is going to be about. And so the first one is Hearts and Home Open. That's showing love and hospitality to everybody. Uh, I is inward and outward. That's taking care of our inside spiritually and physically, but also pouring out. So we say both, inward and outward. We need to be doing both as believers. Uh, N is we need Jesus and we follow him. That's pretty self-explanatory. Letter E is encourage and celebrate others. We like to play a lot of games as a family. Does anybody in here play games, like board games, card games? Some of you, okay. What happens when someone loses? Especially with kids. Oh, yeah. yeah, the whole anger, right, rise up. So we put this one in there specifically because of that, right? Encourage and celebrate when others win. It's okay. We're here together as a family. And there's more to it than that. But then letter S, shine light in dark places. That's just being the light to the world that Jesus commanded us to be. But we uh, just started with E, um, rotating through our letters just this past week. And Colossians chapter 3 that I read just before happened to be the scripture verse. And if you notice from the verse, singing to each other actually has a purpose. It's to teach and admonish one another, right? Admonish just means to warn or strongly urge one another. So singing has a purpose of teaching and admonishing one another. So I have a question. This is interactive, okay? How many of you during the week, most of the time, have a song stuck in your head? Okay, that was kind of what I thought. Okay, now how many of you have a sermon stuck in your head during the week besides Pastor John? <laughs> right, and, and I'm, not, I'm not trying to, to, you know, put singing above preaching or anything because preaching is super important. Obviously, I'm doing it right now, but it, it's by and large teaching of the word is super important. Bible studies, super important. Studying the word on your own, getting into those small groups, uh, fight clubs and K groups when they, when they start back up again is super important to get into the word together. But singing, my point is this, singing shapes our theology. What we sing shapes our theology. And what we sing shapes what we believe about God. Okay? And that's the truth. You have young kids and you don't want them listening to some of the music of the culture because that shapes how they think. Right? It shapes what you believe. You know, like it or not, that's what music does. It gets stuck in your head quicker. Right? You, you memorize the, the lines quicker and then you, just, you start singing it and what you sing starts to become what you believe. And so it's super important. Music finds its highest purpose when it's used as a tool to extol the greatness of God. Music is a biblical way of expressing our worship to the Lord. Spiritual music gives voice to our joy and adoration unlike anything else. Whether a psalm or a hymn or a spiritual song, the purpose of music is to glorify God, and he wants us to use this gift as a means of worshiping him. And so I thought I'd use this opportunity 
quickly to share with you the criteria that we use to choose songs here at Grace. Okay, we have a criteria, and if you go through the membership class or the intro to Grace, you may have heard this already before, but I just want to go through and remind us really quickly. The first uh, criteria that I use is, is it true? Is it based on Scripture? Is it biblically sound? Does it speak the truth in a clear way? That, that's, and that's super important because, again, I believe that what you sing will shape what you believe. So if we're singing incorrect uh, Scripture, incorrect theology, we're going to start to believe something that's incorrect. The second thing that we use is, is it singable? There are a lot of good songs out there, but some of them just aren't meant to be sung. I, I'm, I'm very limited in my singing ability, and so there, there are some songs I just can't sing. I can't perform and can't do. And I'm not saying that there's no place for a special song in the church. There, there is absolutely a place for that, to times to just reflect and just listen and soak in and be blessed by music that's been written. But by and large, the songs that I choose, I want us to sing together. I want us as a body to unite together and do that. And then number three is my criteria, is it worth singing? Is it worth singing? And I say that because sometimes a new song says the same exact thing than what we already sing. And, and we love that song, right? And so there's no, there's no point to me. It's not worth doing a new song to have to relearn the words and try to, to sing the same thing that we're doing. But on the other hand... Sometimes those songs that we've sung for years and years, we just sing without thinking about it. They can just become dull to our voices. We just, you know, we just sing it and we don't even think or engage with what we're singing. And so doing a new song that way helps us re-engage with that truth, helps us reaffirm what we believe, and it blesses us greatly. And so kind of weighing the two together on that, is it worth doing? And I realize there's a big balance here. There's a lot of opinions here. But none of this is done without prayer and conversations with the team and the band, and, and many other people, just, you know, what should we be singing as a church? And the last thing I want to mention of why singing is important is because it unifies us. It brings unity as a body. And I'm going to touch on sports later, but this is, it's the easiest example for me. When you go to a sports game and your team is winning, what do you do? You cheer, right? And there's this sense of unity in that, and, you know, with the fans, and we're all just united as one. And that's the same thing that happens at church. We sing together. We bring that unity and that camaraderie. And, again, it teaches us. So it teaches us, and it brings unity. So that was my mini-sermon on singing and song selection. And now we'll get to Psalm 98. Uh, Psalm 98 is one of seven psalms in the Bible that used uh, to celebrate God as king. Okay? And um, they're enthronement songs is what they're called, and not to be confused with royal psalms. And the only difference I just want to mention is that royal psalms talk about the king being king, right? The physical king, like David, Solomon, the king being king, and God appointing him, or God using him, or God teaching him, and those things. But this, these type enthronement songs, God is the king, God is the one reigning, God is the one ruling, and that's who we submit to for our authority, okay? And this psalm can be divided into three main sections, so I'll kind of go through it in these three sections. Um, why we're to praise God is at the beginning. Why should we praise God? The second section is, how should we praise God? And the third one uh, is a matter of who, who should praise God. So let's read verse 1 um, and verse th through verse 3, starting together. Uh, it says, Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and has revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. And we're going to leave that screen up there uh, for a little bit because I want to ask a question. Okay, why do we sing a new song? Why? 
Any, anybody can shout it out, especially kids. Why should we sing a new song? It's easy. It's up there. Marvelous things, right? He's done marvelous things. What else? Anything else? <laughs> he has made himself known. Great. What else? He is faithful. Anybody else? You're doing great, though. I appreciate that. He has saved us, right? He's made his salvation known. Absolutely. Right? He is loving. The nations have seen the salvation of our God. That's right. And so I want you to notice then, okay, all of those things says God has done. He has worked salvation. He has revealed his salvation to the nations, right? He has done all those things. The next slide will have all of it highlighted uh, if it goes up there, but that's okay. He has done these things. He revealed. He made himself known. He did these things, right? And, and oftentimes, so in my life, right, I write a new song, and I'm super excited about it, right? I'll talk about it with a lot of people. I'll sing it a lot. I'll share it a lot. Hey, hey, you know I wrote this one, right? And I probably should work on that part. But I, I believe you're the same way, especially in this age of Facebook, right? When you go hunting and you, you kill that 10-point deer. Is 10-point good, by the way? Is that okay? Okay, I don't, I don't hunt, so I don't know. 10-point <laughs> would probably be good for me, right? Okay, it's good. Right? What do, you, what do you do about it, right? You share it. You post it online. You talk about it. You take a picture of it. Who, who takes a picture of what they kill? Hunting. Not, yeah, hunting, right? Okay, fishing, right? Anybody fish? Right? You talk about it, right? You talk about those things that you're excited about. Or who, anybody here golf, right? You hit a good shot, right? It's easy to brag about ourselves is my point, right? And can you relate? Okay, this is, it can be interactive. It's easy to brag about ourselves, the things that we do, the things that we accomplish, the things that we're concerned about. It's easy to do that. And I think that the psalmist here is reminding themselves, reminding those who um, were going to be singing that at the time and us today, that life is not about us. It's about him. Okay, life is about him. God didn't save us because we did wonderful things. Okay, he didn't give us victory. It was his victory that he worked out. It is his righteousness and his faithfulness, his love to us that he revealed and shows to the ends of the earth. See, it's about him. And so as I, as I read this psalm over and over again, some questions came to my mind. Like I said, this is interactive, so you can, you know, I'll wait for you to answer if you, know, you want. But uh, I, I asked myself some of these questions. What wonderful things has he done for me? Right? It said the Lord has done, sing to the Lord a new song. He has done wonderful things. So I, I had to think, what has he done for me? And, and I want you to think what he's done for you. And I want to list some. I, he gave me my incredible wife. I'll tell you, he gave me my incredible wife. It was not my doing. But without her, I wouldn't be where I am today. He gave us our, our amazing kids. We have six of them, if you didn't know. And they're just each one so unique, and it's a privilege to be called their dad. Uh, even yesterday, I was talking about that I was preaching, and Beckett, um, he's number one, two, three, I think. I can't remember. Third, third one. Yeah, three. He said, oh, dad, you're preaching? I'm going to listen then. So if you're listening, buddy, I, I said your name, but most likely he's back with uh, the other kids playing. Actually, uh, a lot during when they've had to stay home, my family has had to stay home, my daughter, Kaylin, the oldest, has taken the kids back and done G-Kids herself. Uh, she has done a little lesson for the, you know, the, the kids while Megan can sit and listen to the sermon. So I'd, just such a privilege to be called dad. He's given um, my family this church, without which I would not have been led here. I'm originally from Iowa, if you knew, and that's where we moved 
from. And I wouldn't have found Bainbridge, Georgia without God's leading and his prompting and given us this incredible church family that we call home now. A little bit deeper, my son Harper, who is number two, okay, I got this right, he, uh, he was born 10 weeks early. And God strengthened him and saved him. And the doctor said he's going to stay, have to stay in the NICU for two months, and he got out within a month. You know? And the doctor said, you have to supplement nutrients. He said, we didn't, we didn't do any of that stuff. God strengthened him and allowed him to come home, and you would never know today. And take it a step farther, our son Micah, who we adopted, he was born 15 weeks early. He was a twin. His twin did not make it. And through foster care, God led him to our home, who through some circumstances then we adopted. It wasn't like we were looking, hey, we're going to go out and adopt a child. No, just the way things happen. God led us to do this. What an incredible, incredible addition to our family he is. And then we've had four, we had four incredible children naturally and then with no complications, and then we experienced a miscarriage. Never before in our lives have we done that, and yet God led us through that, this wonderful thing, to now we have our sixth, Rowan, who is just an incredible addition. Without, I couldn't imagine life without. And so I, I say these things not to say, hey, Mitch is awesome, he's got a great life, but it's, it's to recall the wonderful things God has done. I know that many of you right now are going through a difficult, hard, troubling time. I know that without a doubt. I'm not making light of that at all. I know that for a fact. Yet God tells us, if you've trusted in Jesus, you have seen the faithfulness of God. Even if you're going through a difficult time right now, if you are a believer, you have seen God do wonderful things. And he tells us, look back on those things. Look back on those things and remember the hope that I have for you. Remember my love that I have for you and that I will bring you through. It may not be tomorrow or the next day or the day after, but he will restore one day. And that's the hope that we cling to when we remember the wonderful things he's done. And so then I read next, you know, he has made his salvation known. And my, the question I thought to myself was, do I know this salvation? And I want you to ask yourself, do you know this salvation? Do you know the gospel? In the time that Psalm 98 was penned, um, it says that God revealed his salvation to the house of Israel in verse 3. And, and scholars you know, they're unsure of when exactly in, the, in time, the time period that this psalm was written. A lot of times, psalms will have a heading. It says, you know, of David when he was fleeing Saul in the mountains. Or it kind of gives a, a time frame. And this heading here is a psalm. So no, no hints there for when it was written. And clues in the verses could help where it talks about his victory was seen by the nations. Uh, because of his love and faithfulness, he acted. And so this could be God removing Israel from slavery in Egypt, right? You know that, let my people go. It could be a judge, Ehud, Deborah, or Barak, or it could be Samson defeating the Philistines, or even the return of Israel back to the land from Babylonian captivity. It could have been any of those things, but I believe the psalm was generically written on purpose. I believe it was written because God, our God, is a God who saves continually. He is in the work of saving constantly. And today... This victory, this salvation has come through Jesus Christ. And so if you don't know the gospel, because in a, in a, in a crowd this, this size or even those watching online, there's bound to be someone who has not fully trusted or accepted Jesus Christ, who not, does not know the gospel, it's, it's essential for the Christian life. And we say this a lot at Grace, to preach the gospel to yourself daily. And so let this be a moment where, okay, 
this is your daily hearing of the gospel because it's, it's that, that incredible truth that we need. So the first thing to know is all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's the first thing. All have sinned. We've missed the mark. We've messed up. We've hurt others. We've hurt God, right? We've done these things, everybody, okay? And in our culture, especially today, truth is, is sort of this nebulous thing, right? I don't know if you've heard the, the term truth is relative, if you've ever heard that before, right? What's, what's true for you may not be true for me, but it's okay because it doesn't matter. It's, you know, you just believe your truth and I'll believe my truth, right? I remember I went to college at University of Northern Iowa, and I was in a uh, lecture, right? And the teacher was teaching. I don't remember what she was teaching on. I think it was a communication class. But she outright just said, because, I don't remember what she said before, but because truth is relative, and then just started moving on. And I had just been studying uh, the Truth Project at the time. I was studying uh, about truth, and so I, I immediately thought, well, that's really funny, and I laughed out loud. So the professor stopped and said, do you have something to say? And I said, well, I have with a question, is, is what you said about truth being relative absolutely true? Because if it's, if it's absolutely true, it's a contradiction because it's not true for me, and so it can't be true for you, Right? Does that make sense? Absolute truth means there's something that's true that can't be changed. But if truth's relative, then it's different. And I just made that contradiction, and she just kind of looked, laughed, and then moved on, right? We didn't even address it in the class. But we believe that God is truth, that he's laid his truth, he's revealed his truth in Scripture, and that's what we believe. And so when God says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, we believe that. It's true. Even if you don't believe it, it's true. Okay? All have sinned. So secondly, then, the wages of sin, okay, what you earn, right? If you earn a wage, that's what you earn. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. And Hebrews 9.22 says, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins, right? There can't be any forgiveness without a sacrifice. There's no shedding of blood. If you've read the Old Testament, God laid into place because there had to be a way to, to remove sin. He laid out a system of sacrifices, of blood sacrifices that could cover over sins. But the problem with that was that it could only cover over. It couldn't take away sin, right? So someone would come and they would ask for forgiveness for their sin. They would make the sacrifice, walk away, and immediately mess up. You'd have to atone for your sin again. You had to do it over and over and over again. And so therein lies a problem. There couldn't be sin taken away. It could only be covered over for a time. And so what God did, just like the psalm said, God did. He showed his love for us and that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us, Romans 5.8. He came, he took the punishment that you and I deserve upon himself, right? We believe that Jesus is God, the Son of God. He came to earth, lived a sinless, perfect life, and yet he died for sin that he didn't commit, but he took it on for you and for me. He took the full wrath of God, the scripture said, that was poured out on Jesus to forgive the sins of the many. Isn't that incredible, Right? This is the gospel, this is the truth. It should give us excitement remembering that, that truth, that God did that for you. And this leads to my, the fourth point that we need to know that has the most hope for us, that Jesus died and yet three days later he rose again. And that's the victory over death. He didn't stay dead, but he came back to life and therefore he offers this life, this resurrection to anyone who believes in him calls upon the name of Jesus, believes in their heart that Jesus is Lord, and then he raised him from the dead, right? And that's the gospel. And I pray that if you did not know this gospel, if you were confused or if 
if you decided to trust that, that you, you come tell us. Or that, you, that someone would believe this truth today, even if you've been a believer for a long time, that oh, I, I just needed that fresh reminder. Because I, as I was studying and had this, I just, I love being reminded of the gospel. It just gives you this refreshment and excitement for what God will do again, because he saved us and he's coming again, right? So moving on in the psalm then, verse 4, it says, Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord, the King. Let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. And I don't know about you, but I always look forward to the NCAA March Madness basketball tournament. Any basketball fans in here? Not many. I knew that. That's okay. Because I love it. I love making a bracket. You know what those are, right? The tournament bracket where you guess the teams that are going to win. And I say guess. I think there's a slide that will show it if, you, if you're confused, if you've never seen it before. But I say guess because I don't watch all the games ever. I just watch the tournament. But I make a bracket because I think, okay, maybe I can guess the right winners, right? And it's super exciting. Right? You know, I write it down and I watch the games and I love just the excitement, right? So I'm cheering for, I'm, I'm from Iowa, so Iowa Hawkeyes. Anybody know Iowa Hawkeyes? Woo! Yeah, okay. No, that's okay. So it's a very neutral team. We don't really compete down here, so it's okay. But for basketball, I, just, I, I love cheering for them. And if they're the underdog, usually they're ranked way low or even not in the tournament. But I love just to cheer for the underdog and just see if I can get anywhere close. I love cheering, right? When someone scores that buzzer beater three-pointer, many of you aren't basketball players anyway. You don't know. Right, you know, but what's a buzzer beater? How about this? How about football? Okay, yeah, football, right? You know what I'm talking about when you watch a football game and you, you know, stand sometimes, right? It gets so intense. You got to yell. You have to scream. Your team scores a touchdown and you yell, right? Anybody yell? Go ahead, raise your hand if you yell. Okay, you don't have to actually yell. But right, I mean, you just yell. You know what I'm talking about, okay? And, and that's what, the, that's what I picture when I read these verses. Shout for joy. Burst in a jubilant song. Most teams have their fight song, right? You, just, uh, you start singing it just because you just burst into song. Um, the Hebrew word that's translated resound in that verse literally means to make the sound of thunder. Anybody gone to a, a college football game before? When they start stomping on the bleachers, right? Did you hear that thunder? That's exactly what I picture. And, and nobody... You, know, you guys don't think anything of that, right? Oh, yeah, we go to that. Yeah, that's great. I love that. We don't think anything of cheering for sports. But we think of it sometimes. We're doing it in church? I don't know if we should do it in church. But that's what this, this says. That's what we, we should do when we worship our king. Shout for joy. We're worshiping God whose work salvation causes us to well up with joy. We can't help but shout. We can't help but sing. We can't help but praise God. And that's what, that's what I picture when we read these things. And a joyful noise that, that you hear Scripture talk about, it says make a joyful noise. It's not just noise for noise's sake, okay? Our world is already filled with noise, and a lot of it's harmful and distracting. But a joyful noise is a bold declaration of God's glorious name and nature with shouts, clapping, and other expressions of praise, right? It's, it's often including music, singing, playing instruments, and dancing. And while... I believe, and absolutely scripture is clear, there's a time to be reverent before the Lord, to be quiet, to be still and know that he is God. There are times for that for sure, to get in your room and pray fervently before our maker. 
But God delights in our outward displays of joyful abandon when we worship him with all we have. He delights in that. It's filled with examples of his people doing so in Scripture. David danced. Miriam played the tambourine, sang and danced. The children of Israel shouted and they sang. Solomon lifted hands before the people. If you remember in the New Testament, Paul and Silas sang loudly in jail. You remember what happened when they sang loudly in jail, right? And and Jesus was welcomed into Jerusalem with shouts of joy. But I want to be clear that there are some who do pretend to make a joyful noise to the Lord. Even that example of Jesus riding along the donkeys, the same people who shouted Hosanna, you know, God save, also shouted crucify him. And they're merely just showing off, many of these people. The, the joyful noise God desires does not draw attention to the noisemaker. It doesn't disrupt others, but it begins with a pure heart and radiates upward, finding expression in ways that honor God. When joy overflows, our actions reflect that joy. Just as God commands us to thank him because we need to be thankful, he also commands us to make a joyful noise because we need to express joy to him. Right? So in, in Scripture, God says, be thankful. Do it. Be thankful, right? Because we need to be thankful. We are a people who don't express thanks very often. Just, you know, when you have kids, right? How often are they thankful for things? <laughs> right? And so he says the same thing. Make a joyful noise. Because we need to do so. We need to do it, because otherwise, we won't. When the fruit of the Spirit dominates our lives, we can't help but express it. And part of that fruit, right, love, joy. It's the fruit of the Spirit. And so my question to you then is, do you have joy? Think about your life right now. Do you have joy? And I'm not, I'm not talking about a happy, feel-good, warm feeling, oh, we should just be happy all the time. No, I'm talking about a deep-rooted joy. And one of my favorite sayings, especially to my kids, is I'm so glad that uh, the fruit of Mitch isn't joy, because I sure wouldn't have a lot of it. It's not a fruit of Mitch. It's a fruit of the Spirit that produces joy. And so if you find yourself joyless, one thing to check is to see if you're being led by the Spirit. This could be an indicator that something needs to change, because I firmly believe that Christians should be the most joyful people on earth. Christians should be the most joyful people on earth. When people interact with a Christian, they should walk away and go, man, that, they just had joy. They just, they just had this sense of, of joy, right? And it's not, again, it's not this happy feeling, and oh, no, I'm, I'm making it. You know, No, it's, it's this deep-rooted joy no matter the circumstance. And there, there's a couple in our church, and I don't, I don't know if I saw them here today or not, but um, DJ and Deanne Strong, and, and I greatly admire them. And if you've interacted with them at all or if you've you know, scrolled Facebook and seen their posts, to me, they exemplify true joy in the midst of extreme pain and heartache. Just last week was the uh, one-year anniversary of her father passing, Deanne's father passing. And Friday was uh, the two-year mark of D, uh, DJ's dad passing. So in the same week, they, they, had, they, they remembered again these incredible losses and just recently, they, they lost their, their child, their, their born child. that just did not make it at a, at a condition. And so they've had all these things come up against them, let alone now this, you know, the, the state shelter in place and, and finances are, are difficult. And there's just so many things that are hard. And yet I had the chance to talk with Deanne last week um, and just said, how do, you, how do you show this joy practically? Because it's hard. I mean, it's hard. You could see it, and it's like, I don't know how they do it. It's just not me. 
But she gave me some practical steps that I think that were really easy for me to try, and you could try as well, especially if you're going through some pain. And again, I want to be clear that I know some of you are. And I'm not trying to make light of that in light of this verse. And yet God calls us to have this joy no matter the circumstances. So Deanne said this. She said during the time her dad was sick, she would text someone every single day one thing God did for her that day. So not remembering, you know, months ago or, or years ago. It's, okay, what did God do for me this day? One thing. And she would text it. And she said it would even be as simple as, I got the last Diet Coke out of the vending machine at the hospital. I got the last one. I wasn't left without a Diet Coke, right? That, sometimes it's as simple as that, that God reminding her, hey, I'm, I'm here. And she said that was so incredibly helpful to see the good even in the midst of terrible pain. She also said she, she started praying differently. And, and, and this it was really great for me, and this could be really good for you. She said, you know, typically we pray, God, I, I pray you do this and, and heal my dad and do these things, right? And she just simply said, God, you, you know what I want but help me to be okay with what you do. Help me to be okay with your plan. You know this is hard, this is extremely difficult, it stinks. And you know what, I'd rather be out of this, but I pray that you help me to be okay with what you do. I thought that was incredibly profound, help her to see so much joy in the pain. And then she also said this, God can put a lot of happiness and sadness, you just have to look for it. A lot of times we're so consumed with what's going wrong, and so consumed on that problem that we can't see the good that God's doing around us. And she said, you just have to look for it. Because oftentimes when you see one thing, you start to see more. And you start to see God's faithfulness through it. And so the last verse that we have in Psalm 98 says, Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. And I want, to, I want to say this, I'm going to read it from my notes so I don't mess it up, but judgment brings joy only when you know the verdict will be in your favor. Judgment brings joy only when you know the verdict will be in your favor. All right, because some, sometimes you can read that verse and says God's coming to judge the world and you might be reminded of like Revelation 20 where it says the Lord will judge based on the deeds each person has done. Scripture says, or Romans chapter 2, where Paul warns us that God will render to every man according to his deeds, and there is no partiality with God. And we can be reminded of those verses and read that and say, I don't know if I'm going to have joy when God comes to judge the earth. Right? We don't, we don't have this sense of joy anymore. Could you sing for joy? Like, let's say if God's coming today, could you sing for joy based on the way you've lived your life? Or let, here, based on the way you've lived the past two days? Could you sing with joy, shout with joy, because God's coming to judge? It'd be difficult, right? But again, that's where the gospel comes into play for us. Because Romans 8.1 says, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you've repented of your sins and trusted in Jesus, trusted this gospel, there is no condemnation for you because Jesus took that sin away, Right? Jesus took it away. When God looks at us, now he sees Jesus Christ's righteousness. So he's coming to judge the world in righteousness. It's his righteousness that it gets placed on us. And that's where we have this joy. We can well up with joy because, yes, God's coming because he's going to make all things right. And I know where I stand. 
That's why the gospel is so pivotal for believers, for the whole world, right? But if, for us as believers, because we know exactly where we stand when God comes to judge. And so, what do we do, right? You hear a message, okay, we like to do something about it. We would like to, to take away a practical application. For, for, for unbelievers, I want to speak to you first because the first thing is you have to trust in Jesus. You have to. You can't take away an application from the psalm, well, I'll just sing more, I'll shout louder, I'll raise my hands and, and, you know, and I'll, I'll thank God for all he's done. But if you're, if you're not in Christ, it's just lip service. If you look in Scripture, Romans 8, 1, uh, excuse me, Hebrews 13, 15 says, Through Jesus, let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise. Your sacrifice of praise without Jesus is nothing. It's just noise. So trusting in Jesus, that has, that's the only takeaway. That's what you have to do. But then for believers, for believers in here, my question to you is, how is your worship? How's your worship? And I use the term worship because I know when I say the word worship, what do, what do we think of first? Singing. Music, right? Now, singing and music, it for sure is worship, but worship is not just singing. It's not just music. If you break down the word, it actually means worthship, which is the giving of worth. Okay? So defining the terms here, and I can make it really practical. When you take your spouse on a date, that's showing your spouse worth. Secondary application, husbands, take your wife on a date, okay? <laughs> Secondary. But do that. But that's, you're showing, you're showing them worth, him or her worth. When you say, I'm, I'm going to spend time, and I'm going to spend money on you, that's showing worth, correct? Right? Okay, or if you spend time thinking about or pouring money into your hobby, maybe fishing, hunting, golf, I don't know, whatever hobbies other people have, right? But you spend money, you spend time in that, you're showing that hobby is worth it to you, right? Does that make sense? Okay? Or when you have a goal and you say, okay, this is our goal, so I'm going to do this, this, and this, and this to get it, you made a plan, it's worth your time and effort to achieve that goal. Worship is the things that you give your time, money, attention, and affection to. That's what it is, breaking it down. Worship is what you give your time to. So if God is worthy, and we sing songs like that, right? Is he worthy, right? Or worthy, worthy is the lamb, right? We sing those things. If God is worth it, how do you show God worth? How do you show his worthiness? How do you show his worth, right? And I believe scripture tells us, if you look at Romans 12, verse 1, it's a life of worship. And that's what I believe the definition of worship is this. Therefore, brothers, in view of God's mercy, I urge you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and spiritual worship. So the question then changes from instead of how is your worship, how, does the way you live your life show God's worth? Does the way you live your life show God's worth? The way you orient your time, your schedule, your money, finances? Does the way you live your life, the way you talk, things you talk about, the topics you talk about, does that show God's worth? And many of you are familiar with 1 Corinthians 10, 31 to 33, but it says this, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of the many, so that they may be saved. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. 
When we give up our preferences, our wants, and our desires, it brings God glory. But I, I don't mean we give up our preferences and our wants and our desires for the sake of others. That's what he says, for the sake of others, just to be a doormat, right? Well, God called me to do it, so I'm just going to give that up and let them do whatever they want, right? That's not his point, and that's why I read further in the verse, because he says, so that they may realize God is worth it. Do it all for the glory of God, not causing any to stumble, so they see God is worth it, right? And so sometimes that means giving up our wants and our desires, because do we believe that God is worth more than that thing we want or the thing that we would rather do? Sometimes we do that thing because other people are joining too. Or sometimes we do that thing because nobody's seeing anyway, and it's okay, right? God, some of those things aren't bad, right? I'm not saying anything is bad, but it's when we give up our desires and wants to show God is worth far more than just our wants, our preferences, and our desires. And so the better question, the best question, I think, is, is it, do we really believe that God's worth it? So instead of just how is your worship, do you really believe God is worth it? Do you believe that his way is best? And do you really believe that giving up things that you want to do or, or, or want to have will actually bring more joy when we do so for his glory and for the good of others? Do we really believe that? So have you trusted in Jesus? And how's your worship? Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we do come and, and pour out our praise to you only. As a church, as, uh, as an individual, God, I'm so thankful for what you've done for us on the cross, for what you've done in our lives, bringing us here this far, God, because the truth is we are still here. And I pray that no matter who, anybody who's listening is going through a really, really difficult time where things are relatively easy, God, I pray that we can unite together in worship and praise for who you are, that we could shout for joy when we don't feel like we have any, that we can sing and make music in our hearts because, God, you have done the work of saving us. And it's your plan, it's your will that we trust because we know you're faithful. So, Father, I, I pray that the things that we say and the things that we do would all be a, a life of worship poured out to you, especially when we leave this place, when we interact with people, we interact with our families, God, that our lives would bring you glory. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.